If you are watching us on Facebook Live this morning, and this is the first Sunday that we've really thrown this out there, so if you're sitting here in the, uh, in the theater with us here at uh, uh, Stuttgart Harvest Church here at the Twin Cinema, uh, welcome to you guys. But if you are here at Stug- uh, watching us on Facebook Live, I'd like to welcome you. This is our first Sunday to do that. We're excited about, uh, we're excited about how that's going to go uh, as we move forward. We're excited about how that's going to be a big part, we think, of moving forward here at Stuttgart Harvest Church. But I will say, even though um, I'm not in this side of the theater, I'm not in this side of Stuttgart Harvest Church, typically on Sunday morning, I do have an opportunity most of the time to kind of slip in toward the middle end uh, of each of each teaching uh, message, each on Sunday morning. And one of the things is specifically this Sunday, or excuse me, this series, I should say, that really jumped out to me each time that I would step in was, wow, this is some pretty deep stuff that we're talking about here. I mean, this is, there's some pretty deep theological teaching that's taken place in this series. And so what I wanted to say was to pat yourself on the back, because you've made it. You've gotten to the end of what has been a very uh, deep theological series that we've been teaching and that we've been learning uh, this, uh, this month at Stuttgart Harvest Church. And a lot of times I think we fall into the idea that maybe we can't, we struggle with, with really comprehending and understanding the truths that are in the Bible. But you guys have, that's, this is deep stuff. The first seven, eight chapters in the book of Romans is, it's pretty deep stuff. This is a big time fulcrum point in the Bible that we're talking about. And so pat yourself on the back because you've done a great job. Now, as we go forward and we're going to kind of wrap this series up this morning, um, we're going to find out here as we jump into chapter 7 of the book of Romans in uh, verses 14 through 25 that we're going to be talking about here in just a minute. We see that Paul is going to uh, he's going to wrap everything up. He's going to summarize everything that he's been talking about uh, for the for the last seven chapters or so. And 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 it it at times the this this part of, of of Romans that that Paul is writing here I think can be a little bit wordy maybe would be the word. It can be a little bit confusing. Maybe sometimes your eyes can go a little crossed. I don't know about you guys, but for me, uh, as I was getting prepared for this morning, I know that sometimes my eyes would get crossed. And and so what I want to do is I want to kind of look at four basic filter points as we go through the next 12 or so verses this morning. I want us to go listen and learn through this filter, these four filters. Number one, God's law is absolutely perfect. It is absolutely perfect. There's not a mistake in it. It is right 100% of the time. The law that God gave to Moses in the Old Testament is just as applicable today as it was then, and it is perfect. Number two, the second filter is I want us to think from the perspective of we know when we're, what, what the difference is between right and wrong. We know the difference between right and wrong deep down. Now, in the 21st century, the political correctness that we, we, we battle on a daily basis um, has tried to skew right and wrong. It's tried to maybe widen the gray area a little bit. But if we really want to be honest with ourselves, deep down, we know right from wrong. I do. I think you do as well. And then the third filter is, even though we know right from wrong, more often than not, we choose wrong. We choose the wrong path. And then the fourth filter I want us to listen or to think through is the reason that we choose the wrong path is what we've really been talking about for the duration of this series, which is that sin has control in my life and in your life. And we're going to find out in Paul's life. Nothing I did to deserve it. Nothing I did to earn it other than just being born. Because the sin that I deal with on a daily basis, we've already talked about, so far in this series, has been genetically coded into our life. We didn't do anything to get it. We just have it. So think about those four filters. God's law is perfect. We know the difference between right and wrong. More often than not, we choose wrong, and it's because of sin. So let's jump into Romans chapter 7. It's going to be on the screen behind you. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law. Remember, this is Paul talking. Okay, The trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and it is good remember the law is perfect the trouble instead paul says is with me for i am all too human a slave to sin i don't really understand myself for i want to do what is right but i don't do it instead i do what i hate but if i know that what i'm doing is wrong this shows that i agree our first thing our first filter the law is good the law is perfect we know right from wrong here paul 
It's, it's kind of opening himself up a little bit. He's being a little bit vulnerable. He's basically throwing it out there to you guys. He's throwing it out there to us. He's saying, guys, I screw up more often than not. I make the wrong decision. As bad as I want to do what's right, more often than not, I do what's wrong, and I know it's wrong. Now, let's think about who's talking here. This is Paul. This is the man that wrote half of the New Testament. This is arguably, and I, I would even want to take the word arguably out of the equation, this is arguably the best, the greatest missionary, the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher that has ever lived aside from Jesus himself. And he's saying, I get it wrong every single day. Verse 17, so I am not the one doing wrong. Because he says, I know right from wrong, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Sin actually residing, living in my physical body. We've been talking about this for the last three weeks, how sin, when it gets into our life, it just takes control of us, when we, and, and, and it just dictates our decisions. And, it, and we, we make the choices every day where sin takes us places we don't want to go and keeps us there a lot longer than we want to stay. So Paul's saying that it is sin that causes me to make the wrong decision. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. And right here, Paul's then going to prove that statement. He's going to say, you know, I know that sin, there's nothing good in me and I am filled with sin and I make the wrong decisions on a daily basis, even though I know the law is good. And I know right from wrong. I choose wrong. And it's because of sin. And he proves that. He says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. This is Paul talking. This is the man that wrote half of the New Testament. And he is throwing it out there. He's being very vulnerable. I mess up every single day. It, it makes me think about, in, in my personal life and in my family, um, I've got two little girls. I got a four and a half year old named Ella, and I have a fourteen and a half month old named Rachel. And Rachel and Ella, I guess, are just going to have to get used to being used for examples because that's just, I guess, the way it's going to go. But uh, Ella, you've probably seen her running around. She's a little blonde running around. She's 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 a sweet girl. She she minds pretty good, uh, but she you know she she's got she's feisty. I guess the fair way to say it, she's feisty. Rachel. Um, you know, she's just 14 and a half months old, so we're still kind of learning her personality. She's more kind of, I think, going to be my rule breaker, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But about a week ago, uh, a little over a week ago now, I was, uh, it was, it was in the afternoon, I was at home uh, sitting in my chair. Um, I'd just gotten home from work. I had me a glass of tea, uh, and the college football game was on. Man, I was, you know, I was happy. I was in a good spot. I was happy. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I hear Rachel just start screaming in the other room, which if you understand, if you know Rachel... You know that's not a big deal. Rachel cries. That's what she does. She cries all the time, incessantly. Just what she does. It's okay. We've dealt with it. We've learned to deal with it. But this time I could tell this is more than just Rachel's hangry, you know. Rachel's upset. Something's going on. So I jump up, run in there, and Rachel's just on the floor bawling, squawling. I look down, and, and there's a bite mark on Rachel's arm. And it's got saliva all over it, so I know it's fresh. And I look, and of course there's my four-and-a-half-year-old sitting there, and she's got tears well up in her eyes. And, and, and I look at her, and I say, Ella, what happened? She told me, she said, well, I bit Rachel. I said, whoa, whoa, you, you bit her? Why did you bite your sister? She says, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Big tears welling up around, I don't know. So I looked at her and I said, Ella, do you understand that what you did, biting your sister was wrong? Do you understand that? Yes, sir. Okay. Do you understand that because you bit your sister and you knew it was wrong, I've got to punish you? Yes, sir. Okay. Why did you do it? Same thing. I don't know. She didn't know. Now, the four and a half year old didn't know why she bit her sister. But Paul, as we jump into verse 20, Paul tells us why. Sin. It all revolves around sin. Paul reminds us as we go forward why it is so very, very difficult for us to do what is right. Verse 20, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin... Keyword, sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life, Paul says, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Paul just throws it out there. It's sin. I want to do what's right. I want to follow the law. I know the law is good. I know it's perfect. I know what is right, but I choose wrong. And it's because, that fourth filter, because of the sin that has control of my body. Now, 
Verse 22 is, I think, a very important verse that I don't want to skip over because here he says that I love, Paul says, I love God's law with all my heart. We need to understand where Paul's at in his life, in his journey, in his life. This, there, there's two Pauls in history, right? There's the Saul Paul and the Paul Paul, okay? There's the Saul Paul before his conversion, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that Paul we would say was a bad dude. He persecuted the church. Now he was doing it, he thought he was doing what was right, but he, was per- he persecuted the church, one of the, the great persecutors of the church in that first century. And then on the road to Damascus to persecute the church there in Damascus, to, uh, to, to do that, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. So the Paul that is talking right here, this is a converted Paul. This is a Paul that has become a follower of Jesus. So what does that tell me? What does that tell you? That tells me that what we're talking about here, we're talking to Christ followers. We're talking to me. Um, on August 23rd, 1998, that's the day that I made the decision to make God the boss of my life. That's the day that I said, you know what, God, I can't do this, not by myself. I don't understand everything. I don't, you know, it, it, a lot of this is over my head. All I know is that I need you and I'm going to give you control. So on August 23rd, 1998, I made that decision to become a follower of Christ. Paul made that decision on the road to Damascus. So we're talking to Christ followers here. If you're a follower, this is for you. You know, sometimes we think that after we give our lives to Christ, after we become a follower, that, that we, we, we should think differently, we should feel differently, we should choose differently. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying, I want to do that. Everything that's inside me wants to do what is right. Everything that's inside me intends to do what is right. But there's a force living in my physical body that is so strong that I give into it and I become a slave to sin in that moment. Now again, guys, let's, let's back up here. We're talking about Paul, the greatest teacher, preacher, missionary, wrote half the Bible. And he's saying that sin controls me. Now, verse 23, we're going to make a transition. We're going to make, and and really this is going to kind of point us to where we want to go today. Before we've been talking about how sin takes control of our body and how it can can manifest, it's how it manifests itself in our life. But Paul in verse 23 kind of changes the narrative a little bit. And he says, but there is a power within me that is at war with mine. It's on your screen. Mind. That's a big transition. Paul is narrowing how sin controls my life, his life, your life, our life. How it controls us. It begins in the mind. It begins as a thought. Verse 24, Paul says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Notice, not what will set me free. Who will set me free? Verse 25, Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. Paul says, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, that again, remember, Adam, millennial ago, Adam put sin into the gene pool. He put sin into my family tree. I didn't do anything to earn it. I was born. My dad was born. His dad, so on and so forth. It's genetically encoded into who I am. I didn't do anything to get it, but I've got it. Paul says... Paul says that sin is at the center of everything that is wrong and with the bad decisions that we make. Now, he says, he asks the question, what do I need to do about it? What's the answer? What's the key? What's going to unlock, you know, this power that sin has over me? What will free me from the sin? And again, he answers the question, it's not a what. It's a who. Who will set me free? And he answers the question that that it's Jesus. Now, to this point, as we're fixing to move into uh, Romans chapter 8, to this point, everything that we have read for the most part, for the first seven or so chapters of Romans, everything we've talked about in the previous three messages of this series, everything has been pretty ominous. It's been pretty doom and gloom, you know? Paul now is going to change that tone a little bit, and we're going to go from an ominous tone to one of a little bit more power, 
because we're going to talk about the key to unlocking sin's power over my life. And specifically this morning, we're going to talk about over my mind. But before we do that, again, I want to filter this thing out. I want to take four things. Remember, in the beginning, we filtered it with God's law is perfect. I choose, uh, I know the difference between right and wrong. I choose wrong, and it's because of sin. Here, as we go into chapter 8, I want to filter with these four things. Once again, number one, God's law is perfect. It's perfect. Number two, I can't follow the law. I can't do it. Every single day, I fail in following God's law. I'll give you a good example. About 10.45 or so, 11 o'clock last night. Some of you watch the game may know what I'm talking about. Uh, late third quarter, early fourth quarter. I struggled. I struggled with the law. I did. i got to be honest. It was hard. I fail every day. You, I'm talking about the Razorback game, guys. It was ugly. Anyway, another time. I struggle every single day. The law is perfect, and I cannot follow the law. Because remember, God's standard is perfection. God's standard is to follow the law 100%. His standard is perfection. But number three, the filter I want to get to is God replaced that law, that standard of perfection. He replaces that law with a relationship, a relationship with Jesus. And number four, because of that relationship... Because of that relationship that I developed on August the 23rd, 1998 in my life, because of the relationship that Paul developed on the road to Damascus in his life, I have the power, if I choose to allow it, I have the power to resist sin. So as we go forward here in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 now. So now, and, and, and this is kind of going to be a little bit of a sidebar, but I don't want us to miss this. We're going to kind of take a, a step over a little bit and, and, and talk about something very important here that Paul just kind of throws at us in verse 1. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. My sin, because of my sin, the penalty for that sin, the condemnation that comes with that sin, because remember that God's standard is perfection. It's perfect. Because of my sin, the penalty that I should have to pay for that is eternal separation from God in a very real, very literal place called hell. That's, that's the fact. God set the law. The law is perfect, and I can't follow it. And I don't follow it, and God's standard is perfection. But remember that third filter, that relationship. But because God made a way, he made a relationship, he sent his son, he, sent, he actually became human form. Because of that, if I'm owned by Christ, if I become a follower of Jesus, that penalty is paid. The penalty should be eternal separation from God because... I can't follow the law. But Jesus replaced that law. In fact, Jesus fulfilled that law because he lived a human life and never, never did commit a sin. So everything before that first verse, before August 23rd, 1998, in my, uh, my situation, Paul on the road to Damascus, everything before that point, that was on my shoulders. The penalty for my sin, the penalty for my inability to follow God's perfect law, was eternal condemnation, eternal separation from him. That was it. But because of my choice to follow Jesus, then the penalty for that sin, it went from my shoulders to Jesus' shoulders. So it's a simple concept, but man, that's, that's, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a huge fulcrum in the Bible. That's it, really. That's, that's at the center of everything that we believe in the Christian church, that because of Jesus... My penalty for my sin has now went onto his shoulders, and he's taking care of it. And Paul says that everything before, everything since, the penalty, you don't have to worry about it anymore. The penalty's paid. The penalty's taken care of. The penalty, move it aside. You don't have to worry about eternal separation from God because Jesus fulfilled the law for you. And you just have to follow him. But... This is a big butt here. It's kind of funny. Facebook Live, you got that? Okay. Screenshot. Um, verse 2. Even though the penalty has been paid, the sin is still present. Verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Sin's penalty has been taken. Jesus has taken care of the penalty. But the sin is still there every day. I battle it every single day. Paul is talking, remember, post-conversion. All of this is Paul talking post-conversion. He's saying, I deal with sin every single day. Paul says, even though it's still there, even the penalty's taken care of, that sin's daily power over you, Jesus has freed you from that. He, he's freed you from that. Now, 
that's a choice that we make on a daily basis. But, and, and I don't want to make it sound like that, that Jesus, is, Jesus has freed us from it and it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card or anything like that. I mean, it's not like we're playing Monopoly here. Uh, this isn't just, okay, I got Jesus here. I don't have to worry about sin. That, that's not what we're talking about. It's more that Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus is more like a key to unlocking the control, the power that sin has over us. And Paul here now is going to introduce the key element to unlocking that, and that's in God's Spirit. So we're going to jump in here and talk a little bit in verse 3 about the law uh, and kind of try to wrap this up, and, and then Harley's going to come up here in just a second. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sin nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His Son, His own Son, in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, first thing I want you to understand is who is Paul talking to here? Paul's talking to the first century church. He's not directly writing this letter to me, even though the Bible's a living book, absolutely, and, and, and it applies to us just like it did to the first century church. But the actual audience Paul was writing to is the first century church. It was a letter written to Rome that went through the entire Mediterranean world at the time. And he's talking to, in a lot of cases, the Jewish culture who believed that the law, man, the law, that was it. You had to follow the law. And, and Paul here is saying that, yes, God instituted the law, but the reason God instituted the law was to show you you can't keep it. I mean, think about it. I wake up in the morning, 10 minutes into my day, I've already broken the law, God's law. I've already broken it. I've already messed up. Last night, 1045, third quarter, late third quarter, Texas A&M, 92 yards, broke the law. <laughs> right there, boom. God's saying, I put this law, but you can't fulfill it. You can't do it in and of yourself. We've proven that. Paul's proven that. Remember, Wrote half the New Testament. He said he couldn't do it, so I know I can't do it. And then God replaced the law. He knew that, he, that we couldn't fulfill it, so God replaced it with a relationship in the form of His Son, Jesus. How does this help unlock sin's control over our life? That's the question, though. How does becoming a follower of Jesus, who, remember, Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived the perfect sinless life. Fulfilled the law for me because I couldn't do it. How does that unlock sin's control over my life? Verse 4, Paul answers the question. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us because I can't do it. So he did this so Jesus could satisfy the law. Who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Say, how do I unlock sin's control over my life? It's through God's Spirit that you receive when you become a follower of Jesus. That's it. That's the statement. If you don't catch anything else, that's the centerpiece of what we're talking about this morning. It's that Jesus met the requirements of the law because we couldn't. We don't have to relate to God anymore through the law, but instead through a relationship by following His Holy Spirit. And we're not talking about Casper. There's some, you know, the friendly ghost here that's just floating in and out of your life and, and, and into your presence. We're talking about the actual God in the form of the Holy Spirit. Remember this, before we go any further, remember this. That Adam placed something into your life, genetically encoded on your life, and that would be sin. This entity, this evil that's in you, it takes control of you, and it's fighting for control of you all the time. But then God showed up on His creation. He showed up on His creation as a man, flesh, bone, blood, just like me, something I can relate to, just like me. And after Jesus died on the cross, He lived a perfect, sinless life, fulfilled the law, lived a perfect, sinless life, rose again, Spent some time with his disciples, about 40 days, ascended into heaven. But before he did that, he said, I'm going to leave you something that's going to be better than me because I'm, I'm constrained by this human form. I can only be in one place at one time here, what we're talking about. I'm going to send something to take my place, that being the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to hang out with you. He's going to not be around you, but he's actually going to be in you. So if you're a follower of, of Jesus, again... August 23rd, 1998, for me, if you're a follower of Jesus, you actually have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you, which can allow you to overcome the sin that's in your life. So if you're a Christ follower, you've got two entities in you right now. Two. You've got sin. Because that has not went anywhere. Yes, is it paid for? Absolutely. If you're a follower of Christ, absolutely. The penalty's paid for. But you still deal with the sin. It's still there because Adam 
genetically encoded it onto your life. So you have sin, but you also have God's Holy Spirit. You have two very important things that are battling, that we have a choice once we become a follower of Christ. Now, Paul describes what's going on in the lives of Christ's followers in this last verse. And the most important battle is not the battle for your body. It's not the battle for your hands, your mouth, your feet, your eyes, and what we've talked about the previous three weeks. Paul tells us that the most important battle that sin is fighting for you right now has nothing to do with that. The most fierce battle, according to verse 5, says that those who are dominated, controlled by, enslaved by sin, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. It's in the mind. Every sin that I've ever committed, and I've committed a lot of them, every sin that I've ever committed began with a thought. In Paul's scenario, and Paul, what he's talking about, again, wrote half the New Testament. Paul would tell you every sin that he committed, he loved the law, he followed the law, he couldn't keep the law, and every time he failed to keep the law, it began in his mind. We've got a video that we're going to show you here in just a second. The guys are going to be queuing it up in the back. And what that video is going to do, I think, is give you a visual representation of what we're talking about. Give you a visual representation of how sins control over my life, over Paul's life. And it manifests itself in our body. It manifests itself in our actions. It begins squarely every single time with a thought in our mind. So watch this. Think about things that please the Spirit. You see, this is describing an epic giant battle that's going on and the battle is this who is going to be king or boss over me this very moment over this moment you see for me and for many of you you have already decided who is going to be my king for eternity that was settled when you chose to become a follower of Jesus that was settled there but now we have this battle to say who's going to be king and boss over this moment and it happens moment by moment. And Paul expounds on this in verse 6. He says, So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. In other words, what he's saying is we allow, we let our sinful nature have parts of us. And this specifically now speaking about our mind, our thoughts. So when we loan our thoughts to the evil part inside of us, then it says something dies. As he goes on, he says, but letting the Spirit control our mind, letting the Spirit have control over our thoughts, the Bible says then, he, Paul says, leads to life. So we have that option. We now have the option to allow God's Spirit to be king or boss over this moment, what I'm thinking about. But we have to make that choice. Paul is saying we have to let that happen. We have to allow that to happen. Verse 7, he goes on. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. And it says, Paul says, it never will. Verse 8. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. We try and we try, and that's where we talked about on week number one of this. We might have moments where we are good, moments where we're good. But we have the feeling that we're good most of the time, and every once in a while we do bad. And Paul is saying that's not the case. It's the other way around. We're usually bad, and we have moments where we're being good. He goes on, he talks in Romans verse 9, Romans 8 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh. He's saying, for you guys that I'm talking to, he says, for you guys that he's writing this letter to, it's different for you. He says, you're not stuck being having to let that sinful nature inside of you be your boss. You're not stuck there. You don't have to give in to sin for you. He says, this is different. He says, but you, he's saying, you are in the Spirit. Now, how do we know that we're in the Spirit? If that's the case, how do we know? Well, Paul says, since the Spirit of God lives in you. So as Cole said, we have this entity inside of us called sin. We've had it. It's in our physical body. You were born with it. But then when you became, if you have become a follower of Jesus, then that means God placed his spirit actually inside of you. And he says, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. He's saying God's spirit is proof that death for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not going to be your end. It is not the end. Now look at verse 11. 
the Spirit of God, who, this, and he describes who this Spirit is, who raised Jesus from the dead. You want to know how Jesus walked out of the grave? The Spirit, God's Spirit, raised him to life. He, that Spirit, he said, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living inside of you. This is so cool. Think with me. This gets pretty deep here. Real quick, for just a moment, think with me. Paul is saying God is going to raise, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have submitted your life to God, surrendered to him, here's what he's saying. One day your body is going to die. They're going to place you in a grave. Some people choose to be cremated. Doesn't matter. Your body is going to die. And Paul is saying that Jesus, this spirit of God, that Jesus said he is going to raise your body to new life. And I know this is weird thinking about this, but and if you have some questions about this, look back on our SoundCloud account uh, and look back to, um, to um, what happens when I die. It's in that series, what happens when I die. Great, 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 great uh, explanation of this. But here's what Paul is saying. God is going to raise your body back to life. And when he raises your body back to life, guess what? Right now, our physical bodies have sin literally living in us. We have that. When he gives you this new body, and I know this is weird. Uh, uh, people on Facebook may be dropping off right now, but, that's a, but here's the truth. When he gives you this new body, listen to this, there will be no sin inside of you. When God created Adam, there was no sin in him until he sinned. Guess what? When you get this new life that God is literally going to give you if you're a follower of his, there will be no sin inside of you. Now that's power. That's powerful that he's going to be able to recreate you. That is powerful. And here's what he is saying. This is what Paul is saying. If God is that powerful to give you this new body with no sin inside of that body, if God is that powerful that he can do that, if God's spirit can do that for you, then just think how powerful is God then in your life right now going to give you, give you the opportunity to not be a slave to sin right now in your mind. You don't have to be a slave. If that power can raise your life to new life, and that is in our future, then right now, that very same spirit that has the power to do that is in you right now. And, and he, God's spirit, he can give you the power to allow God to be your king in the moment. You see, you don't wait to allow God to be your king when your hands are all dirty with that sin in that moment. That's not when you say, oh God, please help me get out of this. No, it's, it's too late. It's too late. You're there. God wants to keep you out of that right here in your mind before you ever get there with your hands. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. He goes on in verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature wants you to do. Up here somewhere, I've got a card, and I don't see it, but it's up here, and everything's black, so I can't see. As you leave today, we have a card we want to give you. If you're on Facebook, we're going to have that printed on our, on our Facebook uh, page for the church. But as you leave here today in, in the theater... We want you to grab one. It's on each side of the rail. Just pick one up. And we have that and a second verse. But that verse, thank you so much. It's on this card. Pick it up as you leave. Just grab it. And that verse is one of the verses. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. Because God's Spirit is inside of you, you are not obligated to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. And we're asking you this week, memorize that verse. Take that deep in your life. And I cannot tell you how many times, I honestly can't tell you how many times, that over the past three weeks, as we have been doing this series, that I have taken that verse specifically. And when that battle has come up in my mind, I don't want to please do not think that I'm alluding to a perfect life, because I have still failed many times. But I did not lose all of the battles, because in that moment when those things came into my mind saying, do this, dwell on this, think on this, say this, I literally 
took this verse and I said it and I said, you know what? I am no longer under obligation to do what that sinful nature inside of me is asking, urging, begging me to do. I'm saying no. And in that moment, using God's word, you can, you can say, no, I'm not going to let the sinful nature be my king or my boss in this moment. I'm going to let God's spirit be my boss right now in this moment. And I say no to my sinful nature. I say yes to God's Spirit. And His Word is powerful. And God's Spirit was my boss in those moments. In the moments I did not fall back on God's Word, those are the moments I fail. And I failed first in my mind before it ever got to my hands, my mouth, before it ever got to my body parts. I failed first in my mind. And that's what Paul is saying. Use this, God's Word, as a tool. And here, dear brothers and sisters, you no longer are under obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. He goes on in verse 13. For if you live by its dictates, in other words, if you do give in to it, he says, you will die. And here's what Paul is saying. We know that death, that sin, leads to death. Our physical bodies are dying because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. But you know what? Every time we sin, every time we let that sinful nature inside of us be our king, our boss in that moment, something dies around us. And more often than not, you know what's dying? We're killing relationships. We're killing relationships with our children or children. You may be killing relationships with your parents. You may be killing your marriage. So many things we are killing because we let sin to be boss, to be king in that moment. He says, if we allow that to be king in our thoughts, that evil nature, something dies. Just think with me for a moment. How many Christians, people who at some time in their life have submitted their lives to Christ, surrendered their lives to Christ, but yet as they live their lives day in and day out, how many of them, are stepping away and they kind of observe from a distance what's happening with the family. So let's just imagine for a moment God sitting at the table and He is inviting you, sit with me at the table. I want you here, He might say, at the table with me so we can talk and we can visit. I want to hear about your day. I want to hear what's going on. But more important than that even, I want to tell you what's on my heart. I want to share with you. I want to, I want to come to the table. But yet we find them pushed away from the table and standing in the back room. They're distancing themselves from the family. But God says, I want you at the table. Just think with me, how much have we missed in our relationships with God because we have been standing back from the table and God is saying, please come, 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 come closer. Sit, sit here beside me. Paul goes on. He says, but if through the power of the Spirit, now this is important, not your power, not my power, he says, the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, he said, you will live. Now, you know where that happens? Where do we put the de to death those deeds of the sinful nature? Is it while we are having the affair, while we are sending that text to that person we're not married to and we don't need to say those things to that person? Is that when we put those to death? No. We put them to death before we ever get there, and it happens right here in our thoughts, in our mind. He goes on. He says, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's what he says. And then he says this. You, you, you probably might recognize this verse. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You see, we... We have these fears inside of us, and when we dwell on these things that we have fear about, anxiety about, we have fear about, do you know what that leads us to do so often? We go to these things that give us comfort. Uh, we go to relationships that are not healthy, that we don't need to be in, but we go to and gravitate to that relationship because there we find comfort. Even if it's abusive, we go there because that's where we get comfort when we're fearful, when we have anxiety. You know where else we go? For me, I go to the double cheeseburgers. 
How many times did I want a double cheeseburger this week? I cannot tell you how many times. Vanessa can't tell you how many times I said, I really want a cheeseburger. Do you know where else we go? We go to those habits that are actually harmful to us, but yet somehow they bring us comfort. We go, to, we go to even things that we are addicted to, knowing it is destroying us and things around us, but we go there out of fear because we are afraid and it brings us comfort. And Paul says, you don't have to live by that spirit. He says, there's something new. Verse 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you. Guess what? I was born in Adam, in the sin family of Adam. I was born there, so were you. But when I became, when I submitted my life to Jesus, you know what happened then? Jesus took my life out of that sin family, and he adopted me into God's family. I didn't deserve it. I I was a scoundrel, a spoiled, rotten scoundrel. I did not deserve it. He did it anyway. He adopted me. And when he adopted me, I had a brand new family. I'm not talking about my earthly family. I had a brand new spiritual family. No longer was I in the family of Adam. God said, I'm going to bring you into my family. Now instead of giving you what you inherited from Adam, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve to inherit. And that's my family. That's my child. God said he's going to make you his child, adopt you into his family. He says that instead of you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, now you call him, listen to this, Abba Father. That's, that's the English word they've chosen, Abba Father. But do you know what a literal translation of that Greek word is? Now we call him Daddy, Daddy. And you may not have had a good relationship with your father here on earth. But you know what? Your daddy in heaven, you can have an amazing relationship with him no matter what your relationship was with your earthly father. And he says, I want you at the table with me. And when you're here, I'm not going to crush you. I'm not, I'm not going to put you there and punish you. I want you to call me daddy. Daddy, daddy. God is offering us a relationship, a daddy relationship. What better way to stop sin from controlling me than for me to think, you know what, I have a new family, a new God has taken me out of Adam, the family I deserved and the history I deserved and the future I deserved. And he took me out of that. And not because I was good, not because I tried harder, but because I simply surrendered it all to him. And he now put me in his family. He adopted me. I didn't deserve it. Verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's feeling, that we are God's children. Listen, here's the thing. Maybe you don't feel like you're saved. Maybe you don't feel like you're connected to God. I have gone through many, many seasons in my life where I did not feel saved and I did not feel connected with God. And I was like, well, maybe I need to get saved again. Maybe I need, maybe I just didn't mean it enough. But here's the truth. I think the reality is for me in those moments, maybe I was not allowing God's Spirit inside of me to have control of my moment-by-moment thought life. Because I truly believe this, that a mind, thoughts, your thoughts, when they are dominated, dominated, by the evil inside of me, I will not, I will not feel close to God. But when His Spirit is leading me in the moment, when He is King of my thoughts in the moment, I feel like God's child. Verse 17, And since we are His children, we are His heirs. And he says, look around you. (laughs) 
what belongs to my children, God says, guess what? You are now one of, I've adopted you. If you've surrendered to him, he's adopted you. What belongs to God's children belongs to you. Now, in fact, he says, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. We are. Even today, we are. And Paul goes on, but if we are to share his glory, he says, we must also share his suffering. And here's a hard message for the American church today. Because we, we love the glory part. But we think the suffering part is not scriptural, that I, my life should be easier if I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, no, there's not in there. We think God should help me pay my bills. Well, I, it's not in there. We think that God should make sure I, I have a car and it's functioning and it's working so I can get to work. Guess what? Not in there. Not going to find it. And then you see that thing roll through Facebook. Shows a wad of money, a pile of money, and it says, just, just share it and say amen. God's going to bless you. Not in there. Not in there. Not going to happen. You can share it. Not going to happen. It's not in there. God has not promised you that He's going to pay your bills. He's not promised you that you're going to stay healthy. He's not promised you that you're going to be wealthy. He hasn't, I mean, He will give you wisdom. That's in there. But you've got to ask for it. You've got to act on it. We're going to have problems. He's not promising you an easy life. You know what he's saying? Life with me. He's saying, I am here. Father's at the table. Sit down at the table with me. Let's talk. Let's relate. Sit here with me. Life with me is a better life. No matter what's happening around you, no matter what, no matter who died, no matter what's going on, life with your Father is better. It'll be a better life, he said. Not an easy life. The essence of this says this, if I live, I live with Him, my Father. If I suffer, I'm going to suffer with my Father. If I die, I will die into His presence. Moment by moment, being transformed into His likeness, into His likeness, with increasing glory, not my glory, His glory. All because we chose to allow Him to be king over our thoughts moment by moment. And not allowing the sin that's inside of us to be king, but Him to be king, moment by moment. Now, what does this all mean as we wrap this up? Here's what it means. The battle for your moment of who is going to be king in your life is going down in your mind before it ever gets to your mouth. The battle of, is, is fierce over, over who is going to be king and boss over my thoughts before it ever reaches my hands. The battle is won over your thinking before it reaches ever reaches any part of your body. So here's what we're saying. God's Spirit can be king of your moment. And we're telling you this, if you will use God's Word, if you will take God's Word and place it into your thoughts and let it sink down into your life, so that when you have that moment of that battle, who's going to be king? Who's going to win? My sinful nature, and therefore I do it, or God's Spirit, and I choose to be a servant of His. In that moment, God's Word will help you win the battle. It'll, it'll happen. It'll happen. Use God's Word in that moment before you get to the sin, in that moment, in your thought, in your minds, bring that back and allow His Spirit, God's Spirit, to be your King in that moment. We're asking you this week, take one of these cards. Memorize this verse. It's not a magic formula. It's God's words. 
And when you bring them deep into your life, and in that moment when it comes to your mind to do what you know you don't need to do, as Paul said, use His Word and let Him be king in that moment and see what happens. Let's pray. God, You told us that we now, if we have Your Spirit in us, which means if we have surrendered our lives to You and Your Spirit is there, we no longer have to give in. We're not obligated to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. But God, instead, we can use Your Word and bring it back out, bring it into our mind and out of our mouth, and we can allow You, God, to be our King in that moment, in our thoughts, before anything ever goes to our body parts. We don't have to give in. God, we're so thankful for that power that You have given us, that You place in our lives. We have not received a power that makes us a a fearful slave, but God, instead, we've received Your Spirit who has adopted us into Your family. So God, we're so thankful that we don't have to give in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My friends, I am so glad that you've been here with us today. On the end of your rows, that's where the giving buckets are. You can just pick those up, send them down the road. That's where you put your giving envelopes, your connection cards, your pens. Here's what we want to encourage you. Even if you're still with us on Facebook Live and our friends here, we want to let you know next week we begin a brand new series. It is good. It is called Real Life Horror Stories. It's going to be good. And you think... I promise you, we won't read your emails or your mail. We don't know what your real-life horror story is. We're going to be looking into the Old Testament, and we're going to find out what God has to say about how He can take what seems like a disaster, what seems like the end of our lives, the worst, the worst. He can take that, and He can turn it into something amazing, as only God can do. Real Life Horror Stories, it starts next week right here. It will be a perfect series for you to have that person that you've been encouraging, that you've been talking to at work or in your family, to have them sitting right beside you next Sunday morning as we begin this series. I hope you will, and I promise you this, they will not leave here feeling like we have beat them up. They're going to be encouraged, and they're going to be loved. I want to pray for you. I'll be on the back porch. I'd love to say bye to you before we we leave. Let's, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so very thankful that you, that you have taken this life of mine that has been messed up, that has been abused, that has been harmed. And God, with your spirit, you have given me now the power to say no. And yes, God, I have still failed you many, many times. But God... Your word is alive and it's active. And the times that I take your word and I allow your word to help me let you be my king and my boss in that moment. And God, in those moments, I have won. God, I'm so thankful. And I just pray that my friends here today will take your word and let it sink deeply into their hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.